Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news, recorded across North America at various locations. I'm Heidi McDonald, the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Now you can find us on Twitter at, at @PWComicsWorld uh, and on Facebook at PWComicsWorld and also on PW at PublishersWeekly.com slash comics. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us at PWComicsWorld at Tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to any of your favorite podcast subscription doohickeys. Uh, and also, you can leave a comment for us and tell us how we're doing. And you can always smile and stay on the sunny side of the street. Uh, Kate, it's, is it obvious that Calvin isn't here this week? Yes, because you're doing Calvin's part as well as your own. Yes. Making me sound like I'm a virtual mute. But that's just because Calvin does the bulk of the talking usually. Yes, and I don't know how to beat Calvin. But I do know this. This week on More to Come, the beat goes on. Angoulême's Grand Prix. Who will win? The top 100 comics of the decade. And Kate and I talk about The Witcher and other media that we have consumed. Oh, man, that was harrowing. It was really harrowing, but I think we got through it. <laughs> oh, Calvin, we need <laughs> you if only to do our intros. I know, we should have just recorded it. So, uh, Well, Calvin's not here because he's off in Philadelphia at a midwinter ALA, and uh, I'm sure next time we reconvene, which will be in a little while, he'll have a lot to say about that. So, in the meanwhile, Heidi, I think you have some news for us. Well, I might just have a little news. So uh, as you're listening to this, uh, a news PR just went out and a post just went up in the beat announcing that uh, for the past two years, the beat was owned by uh, Polarity, uh, which was owned by – it was previously Lion Forge. We had our own division called Syndicated Comics. and uh, But as of very soon, the beat will be independent again, and I will be owning and running it um, – and, uh, you know, uh, we had an awesome two years and, uh, Dave Stewart at Polarity slash Lion Forge was a really awesome partner. He really believed in the site and helped us out in so many ways. And the beat is bigger and better than it ever was before. I mean, we really grew and, um, guess what? We're continuing on in our, in a new, in a new way. So, yeah. So uh, when did you find out or that this changeover was going to happen. So it's happened very, very, uh, it's, it's just been very recent. So I can't actually say too much about it, to be honest, because there's a lot of things we haven't figured out. Um, but I will say this, I'm very grateful to, to Dave and Carl and Brick and everybody at Polarity. And, um, you know, they've been super, super, uh, helpful about all this and really cool to work with on, on this transition. And, um, so, but, uh, you know, on my end, a lot of things haven't been decided. So, uh, however, just like I said at the top, the main thing is the beat will go on. I've been doing this for 15 years. In fact, we had an awesome 15th anniversary party at San Diego last year, courtesy of Polarity. Um, thank you again. That was the greatest party. That was like my wedding, my bat mitzvah, uh, everything all thrown into one, uh, at San Diego. And, um, but yeah, 15 years. And, you know, Kate, uh, I used to be at Publishers Weekly. Remember when the beat was at PW? <laughs> yeah. So now Heidi's media empire has split up <laughs> into different parts. But once upon a time, it was all under the Publishers Weekly umbrella at a time when publishers 
Weekly was owned by Reed Publications. Yes, that's right. The sister uh, company to Reed Conventions. And we were only one of two magazines that were anything like that. We were the two, like, literary review-type magazines, and then everything else was other stuff. And we were just kind of an island of stuff that, like, they liked, but we didn't really fit in. And within that, the beat was an island that really didn't fit in within the stuff that didn't fit in. I, you know, I don't remember exactly when the beat went to PW because all this is lost the midst of time, but it was well over a decade ago. I know it was probably the mid aughts and that was the golden age of blogging. Blogs were so new then and shiny and amazing. And, and there uh, weren't as many. And there weren't as many, you know, I'm like, I'm, I, I can't think of anyone else who's doing what I'm done, honestly. Um, you know, I mean, they're doing it as long as you've been doing it. Also staying independent and then going somewhere else, partnering up and then going independent and then partnering up. You know, uh, if anybody had any brains, they would uh, if I'd had brains, I would have just sold the site for a million dollars back when, um, you know, that was happening, which it was happening. And, you know, I would have gone on and done something else. But you know what? I I love the beat and um I love doing it, and uh, I guess it's just what I'm. I guess it's just what I do, Kate. So well, you know, Heidi, I don't know. It's a bad choice because you see a lot of things happen and end sadly, like when Kate Spade got bought or when Joe Malone got oh bought. Oh my God, Jesus! Uh, talk about the bad, bad examples. Yikes! You know where uh, I, you know, where the the founder is. Oh, you're going to be kept on as our visionary and. Um, but here's a bajillion dollars, and then, you know, once the pet visionary continues to have visions, the, the 100% corporately owned buyout is like, uh, maybe you want to move on with other stuff. Yeah. And then they own, they own your baby. And so, that was very much not the relationship of the Bee and Lion Forge, later Polarity. It seems like it was a lot more participatory and they were willing to let you go your way yeah yeah absolutely and you know um we've all seen this happen with other comic sites um you know i'll bring up the much beloved comics alliance you know and i mean that was always a corporate site it started under aol and then it had a couple different owners and then one day it was just no more comics alliance so that's not happening uh, as of now, the beat will go on. We'll keep posting. I, you know, want to give a shout out to Samantha Puck. She's been our managing editor for, uh, since last year and she did a phenomenal job. She's absolutely amazing. You know, uh, so, you know, she, uh, I don't want to speak about Samantha's situation. Um, that's her story to tell, but, um, you know, she's incredible. We'll have an incredible team. Uh, I mean, I could just spend the rest of this podcast just, you know, bragging about how great my team is. Uh, so I will do that. But, you know, hey, uh, I've worked with over the 15 years, I think I've worked with just about every comics writer uh, who amounted to much of anything. <laughs> uh, Bridget Alverson and Laura Hudson and Deb Aoki and um, David Brothers and, I mean, all of them, all the, all the bloggers, all the bloggers of yore, just about. And at PW, you know, I was the graphic novel editor at PW for I think 12 years now run by Meg Lemke who is a frequent contributor to this podcast um so yeah you know what I love comics Kate I'm a lifer so um 
that's it. I'll still be around. Uh, still doing all that and still doing this podcast. Although right now, I have to go pack because uh, in a fortuitous timing, I'm actually heading off to Europe tomorrow to go visit uh, some art exhibits and then go to Angoulême, the great comics festival. So what art exhibits are you heading, Heidi? Um, well, there's a Mobius exhibit in uh, Cologne that we're going to, and then we're going to go visit the Comics Museum uh, in Brussels, which is supposedly one of the great comics museums of the world. Uh, we're going to get a tour of that. Um, I'm meeting up with some luminaries at all these stops, and then it's, uh, it's full speed ahead for Angoulême. So, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. You have uh, You're having quite the week. I, I am. You are. <laughs> I am. So... Uh, yeah, but you know, I'm excited to go to Angolem. I mean, you've heard both me and Calvin ramble on about this, uh, that show here. Uh, this would be my third time. Calvin went once. Um, there's been so much controversy over the show. This year, not a lot of controversy that I've seen, although maybe I wasn't paying attention. But, uh, I do know this, uh, every year they nominate, uh, they select a, a they present the Grand Prix to a it's kind of a lifetime achievement award to a cartoonist, and it's one of the most prestigious awards in the world of comics, if not the most prestigious. And the, the winner uh, goes on to kind of be the Grand Marshal of the next year's show. So this year's Grand Prix winner is Rumiko Takahashi. Um, and she's only the second woman and the first female manga artist to be the Grand Prix winner. So that's exciting. That's why I really wanted to go. I wanted to go and, and um, you know, experience this show. Uh, but there's three nominees for the Grand Prix this year. Uh, and they are, hold on, I want to make sure I get this right. Okay, so they are Chris Ware. I believe he has been nominated before. Uh, Emmanuel Guibert probably best known in the United States for a couple books from First Second, including the Allen's War series and um, The Photographer. And then, um, my French is so bad, Catherine Maurice. Uh, she is a young cartoonist who actually survived the Charlie Hebdo attacks and has been doing some great work since then. And uh, so she is the third. So one of those three will be the Grand Prix winner. Oh, great. Well, um, I have to say, I have listeners for all I've been reporting on comics through this very podcast for years, deeply involved in comics as a fan since I was a teenager. Um, not only have I never been to San Diego Comic Con, I've never been to Angoulême. Admittedly, more people have been to SDCC than Angoulême, but still. Right. Um, but between the two, my real next year in Jerusalem is Angoulême. Yes. Well, Kate. Um, I just posted in my newsletter, uh, which you can subscribe to at comicsbeat.com slash newsletter, uh, how to go to Angoulême, which there, if you Google how to go to Angoulême in English, nothing will come up because no one has ever written about how to go to Angoulême. It is kind of a very Francophiliac show. Uh, but you know what? It's not impossible. If, if, do you have a passport? I have a passport. Okay. I've been out of the country. Yeah. So there you go. There's, that's right. You've been to Japan, of course. So but it's money. Hey. Oh, well, that's true. And time it, off. Yeah, but I'll tell you, it's not as insanely as expensive as as you might think. You know, it's not. It's uh, you know, you got to buy a plane ticket. But uh, you know, hmm. it, I, let me tell you, flying to France in January is probably one of the cheapest times of the year. So it's not as expensive as you might think. 
So, Heidi, for our listeners out there, would you say that it is easier to get a ticket to Angolim than it is to get one to San Diego Comic-Con? Well, you could just go right on the Angolim website right now and buy a ticket. Uh, that cannot be said of San Diego. So, uh, hell yeah. And that's one of the things I wrote about in my little piece. Um, it, about 100,000, they say 100,000 to 200,000 people go to Angolim. I'm not sure how that's counted, but uh, for sure 100,000 people go. And it takes up the entire town. So guess what? You just go buy a ticket. Now, you might not be able to get into the individual exhibits because there are huge lines for those. So I'm not, you know, it's like all big shows. There's always lines. But, like, um, there's so much to do. There's so many exhibits to see. There's The whole town becomes one big comics fest. And... Uh, it's a pretty good sized town, so it's uh, yeah. You can do that's that's one of the things. Yeah, the easiest part is getting a ticket. Well, even so, even the hard parts sound easier than getting to San Diego for all <laughs> San Diego's in our very own country. Right. So I mean, that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, but uh, you know, I, I listeners, every time I say I'm going to Angolem, people say, "Oh my God, that's my dream to go," and uh, it's definitely a dream that people should attempt to uh, bring to reality and i'm just here to say it's not an impossible dream it just yeah it takes some money and it takes a lot of planning and uh and not in it but not in it no more than san diego i mean my god i mean even new york i mean we're grandfathered in with our you know you get an exhibitor badge because there's a pw you know comics week table and i mean i have a press pass to san diego but even us getting ready for those shows is so complicated yeah no kidding i mean it's it's i would say getting ready for a show be it as a participant or a fan is or her or a showrunner is like (laughs) uh, it's like an event in itself it's like the build-up to christmas or something like you spend more time dreaming and thinking and planning and going crazy than you do anywhere near the thing itself. I know. I mean, that's so true of both New York and San Diego. And listeners, I know we've had complaints. We talked too much about cons, so I should probably cut it short, but well, we'll Heidi, I mean, I think yeah. it's not so much us talking about cons now during the dull season. I think it's when we're in July and June, and sometimes we have been known to talk about nothing but San Diego for that, six weeks. Right. Well, that's because that's all we could think about for six weeks. <laughs> there is that. It, one might say that the, the podcast is a realistic picture of the state of mind of the hosts when it comes to comics. Yeah. So we're just being honest. We're just saying what we feel and talking about our, you know, we're just rapping with you listeners. We're just telling you how, what's going on inside. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, for Angolem, I mean, I'm a notorious, uh, seat of the pantser for a lot of things. Um, so I, I was just looking at the exhibits, but there is, of course, a Rumika Takahashi exhibit. There's a big exhibit for Robert Kirkman. He's like one of the honored guests there. So there's a huge Walking Dead, uh, exhibit. Um, I would imagine that means that Robert Kirkman will be there, uh, probably. And yes, in fact, he's doing a talk. But, uh, oh, here's my favorite thing. Uh, while I was researching this, I found that uh, there is going to be a panel about farting in comics. Wait, what? You know, just talking about how to show farting in comics. How do you get a whole panel out of that? Well, I guess the time that people spend giggling takes up most of the most of the time. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, I'm just looking. I mean, there'll be a Kath- Catherine Maurice, uh, Juan Frazano, uh, Antoine Marshallot, uh, Calvo, uh, Wally Wood. There'll be a huge Wally Wood exhibit and, uh, Yoshiharu Suga. So, uh, should be very exciting. I don't actually know if Takahashi's gonna be there, to be honest. I don't see anything for her, but, um, you know, I'm there and she's there in spirit, I suppose. Well, on the other hand, if, even if you're the Grand Marshal, if yeah. your French is non-existent, you may not want to be on a panel. Yes, that's true. That is true. Uh, although, uh, la- the last time I went, which was two years ago, Naoki Urasawa was one of the guests, which I, you know, was the highlight. I, I, I missed the night that he was hanging out at the bar with everybody, but, uh, I got to see him talk a couple times and, um, you know, it's, yeah. Of course, they translated what he said into French, not English. So that is the other thing if you go to Angola. If you speak French, you're going to have a much better time. Yeah. But what I, I just meant is that, like, it, as a personal choice of, say, a grand marshal there, like, if your French is non-existent, depending on your level of comfortableness with, like, constant translation, you may or may not feel comfortable doing a panel. Right. No, very true. Very true. And, you know, a lot of manga artists are notoriously um, – they don't like public speaking. They're very shy. I, I, I don't know how Takahashi Sensei is about that. She did go to San Diego about 20 years ago, uh, which I also vividly remember. And because I was not able to go to the meet and greet for her, but a good friend did get me a little signed thing from her. So I do have her autograph and I glimpsed her. I glimpsed her at the booth. So, um, are you a, a, ta- a Takahashi? Have you read any of her works, Kate? I have. I would not say that I am. A fan. I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, I'm an anti-fan. No, I don't mean that at all. Just, they don't seem to hit my sweet spot. I'm like, yeah, oh, okay. this is good. I can see it's really well done. And then I just never get around to reading more. Right. Because for well, whatever reason, it just doesn't scratch my brain's itches. Yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, you know, uh, she's, everybody has uh, favorites. Uh, she is the creator of, uh, Let's see. What did she create? She created uh, Lum. She created Inuyasha. She created uh, all these incredible. Oh, yeah, she's a legend. I yeah. mean, she deserves this richly. Oh yeah, I mean, she's one of. The, also, she was the richest cartoonist in the world for a while. Uh, Yurisei Yatsura, Maizan Akaku, uh, Ranma, one half. Um, yeah, I would say uh, she is kind of one of the all-time greats and incredibly influential. Uh, also, at, at, at a time when, you know, back in the day, sorry to be the bitter nostalgist listeners, but, uh, you know, when I was fighting in the American comic book industry to get people to believe that women could draw comics, uh, Takahashi was like the best selling cartoonist in Japan. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I guess that's why it's a bit of a pilgrimage for me. You know, another I was right moment. Yeah. So, okay, so let's move on. Uh, so I've been running quite a few sales charts and best of lists and all that sort of stuff to kind of wrap up 2019 and indeed the decade. And uh, Diamond ran a list of the top 100 comic books of the decade. Have you seen this, Kate? Well, Heidi, I have seen the link you gave me. Yes. Um, and I will look at it now with you. Yes, because I haven't even had a chance to analyze it also. Um 
So I'm just going to read the top 10 and we can kind of draw whatever conclusions we want from this. Number one was Star Wars number one, uh, which had about 100 variant covers and, you know, Marvel did it right. That came out in 2015. Number two, Detective Comics 1000, which just came out last year. Yeah, I do wonder how much of that is is actually that people really, really wanted that comic and how much of it is that it's a number one or an anniversary or something like that. Yeah, well, I, you know, as you see as we go down the list, uh, Batman trumps all, you know. Now, number three comic is Amazing Spider-Man number one uh, from 2014, followed by Secret Wars Wonder no- number one from February uh, from 2015, um, man, I, I forgot about that, man. I've forgotten about so many of these Marvel events. Well, the thing that really shocked me was that, okay, all the things up until number 10 mm-hmm. are unshocking except for Orphan Black number one, which is quite remarkable. Right. Um, well, then, I was going to go down the list and just, uh, just okay. But anyway, go okay. watch. I, let me oh. just read the list before oh, we the comment list. on it. Yeah. So I'll read the rest of the list. Uh, okay. Number four, Secret Wars, number one. Number five, Action Comics, 1000. Number six, Bravest Warriors, uh, f- from Boom, number one. Followed by Orphan Black, number one, from IDW. That was also from 2014. Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, number one, from 2015. Number nine, Amazing Spider-Man 800, from 2018. And at number 10, Star Wars Vader Down from 2015. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think people would be surprised by Bravest Warriors as well. Well, that is a tie-in to a TV show. But I guess I can see that even so, that and Orphan Black, like, being on that list is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Now, I'm sure if I were channeling my inner John Jackson Miller, who is a sales analyst, he would explain why these comics were there. And I'm sure it has something to do with uh, with incentives, variant covers, and... The dark uh, magic of marketing. Yes, the dark magic of marketing. So um, I wish I could comment more on that. I mean, I do know there was a big incentive with Orphan Black, number one. Uh, also, remember Orphan Black? Is that show even still on? No. No, it's not still on, but it did, you know, end in with a bang, not a whimper. Right, right. I mean, what strikes me, I mean, if you go down here, then comes Big Trouble, Little China, from Boom, Batman 50, Civil War 2, number one, Fantastic Four, number one, Harley Quinn, number one, Walking Dead 100, Walking Dead 115, the final issue, Champions, number one, Justice League of America, number one, Walking Dead 132. Uh, Oh, that was the final issue, pardon me. Um, What strikes me about most of these... Um, oh no, Walking Dead 132 wasn't the final issue. Anyway, two Yeah, so I would say you have to get all the way down to number 49 on the list. Amazing Spider-Man 798 before you find one that is not a very special number. But you know what really is of interest to me on this is how many of these books came out in the middle of the last decade. There seems Mm. to be this sweet spot in like 2014, 2015. Like 2016, there's a lot of books in the top 20 from from earlier. Like the ones from more recent times are definitely huge anniversaries like Batman 1000 uh, or, pardon me, Detective 1000 and Action 1000. And, of course, we're getting Wonder Woman 750 in um, a month or so also. So – or very imminent. It's imminent. Uh, You know, Dark Knight 1 is a – you know, Frank Miller effect. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting to me that sales were super high during this time. 
and uh, they just seem to be able with uh, more stores then? I don't know. You know, I mean, it's been proven that comics aren't dying. We know that. But it's, but it's interesting to me. Well, I kind of think that maybe some of it might be a trend that you yourself notice, which is that comic book stores are starting to get tired of and really over a lot of these various incentive programs. Right. That they have found that it doesn't pay off the way they thought just like they did the last time there was a boom in them. And they're just less likely to overorder based on an incentive. Yeah. Now, House of X was the big hit last year, 2019. That comes in at number 66. So uh, there's a big article by David Harper where he talks to a bunch of retailers. Uh, it's on his sketch site, so it is actually a subscription. But you can read quite a bit of it before you get to the paywall. And they are all saying how House of X, Powers of X was so, or Powers of Ten, as you pronounce it, were so huge last year. They bought people back and like, you know, the X-Men being back because Disney owns them again. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, they're not very subtle. Right, not subtle at all. But the X-Men being back has been great for comic shops, but it still only came in at number 66. Yeah. Well, but maybe that number of orders is a appropriate number of orders as opposed to things that got ordered because something something signature something something shiny cover yeah yeah uh possibly uh you know i did this list came out last week i haven't really had a chance to analyze it or to read too much commentary about it so i'm sure there are answers i mean i hate to be like oh that's really interesting but i don't know why uh but uh there's a lot about this list that is not transparent to me. So yeah, well, perhaps. you know, maybe this is a starting point, Heidi, for an yes. investigation by yes. the beat. Yes, perhaps. Yes, and believe me, we will be. Don't you worry. The beat will still be investigating all kinds of things. Absolutely. On that, there will be more to come. But oh, don't worry, listeners. That's a decoy. We are not ending the show now at all. No, we're not. Let's see. What else do we have, Kate? So we didn't have. There, there hasn't been a lot of news over the last no, couple surprisingly weeks. Surprisingly little news. Yeah. Most of the news, it seems like everybody has been, including ourselves, dear listener, we know, has been filling their hours and pages with the end of the decade, the beginning of the decade, the end of the beginning of the decade, the beginning <laughs> of the end of the decade. <laughs> and, you know, after a while, it does get a little old. Okay, we get it. It's January 2020. Um, so that takes up a lot of space that would normally be devoted to, you know, news. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been as much news. Um, especially because I think a lot of people have January doldrums. And right. so if, if you had a book you could push out in time for Christmas, you did. Right. Um, so I, I do think that like, a lot of things are going to be held on to until big shows or until people earn back their spending money that they blew over Christmas or until people are feeling less cold and miserable. So it just seems to be a really slow news month, which is a rare thing to say because <sighs> let me give you a little look behind the curtain listeners. Many, many times I have said to Calvin or Heidi, Gosh, the news looks pretty thin today. I don't know how we're going to get a whole show out of it. And we always, always, always do. Right. But it's rarely this thin. 
Yeah, it is definitely, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's exactly that. Everybody's coming back from the holidays and getting ramped up. Now, there have been a couple of interviews with, uh, I know Eric Stevenson did an interview. There was some, Dan DiDio did a talk to retailers where he admitted that, uh, he, or, you know, talked about how they really needed to revamp their um, graphic, the graphic novel program, but Black Label has been a big success for them, and they are doing a lot more. You know, I'm more like I've been talking about um, thinking about what's going on at different companies, and you know, we should do. You know, we did our preview story, but uh, boy, there's going to be a lot happening at a lot of comic book publishers this year, and there's t- new comic book publishers coming also. Um, well, AWA, which I know Calvin has talked to Bill Jemis, the uh, showrunner there uh is coming artists writers and artisans uh you know what just this week random house graphic launched with their first title uh gina gagliano's imprint um there are imprints galore new comic book lines galore they all have interesting different kinds of um business models too i mean we saw that last year with tko and um ahoy i mean there's i mean people are dreaming up a lot of stuff for sure yeah, I mean, I, I do think there are probably a lot of things in progress, but there's yes. not, right now we're at that point between the announcement and the thing itself. Right. So it's the, there's a lot of things in the works, but we already told you about them or we don't know about them yet. Right. So let's segue, on that note, let us segue to what have you been watching lately, Kate? Yes. Well, I was watching this documentary on Netflix about the family, which was very weird and a little scary. But then I decided to switch over to something that was maybe more intentionally horror-ish. The Witcher. Yes, my Netflix and probably your Netflix too if you have Netflix. Because according to Netflix itself, um, it's one of their top shows ever. Yes. So me not being a big video game person... Uh, I mean, of course, I'd heard of The Witcher, and I knew it was based on some Polish uh, science fiction novels, and it was very popular. But I didn't, I didn't follow it at all. I, I really try not to get too into video games because I've become very addicted to them. Um, so, but I heard about it. I knew it starred Henry Cavill, and I thought, well, you know, I could stare at Henry Cavill for an hour or two hours or however long you want to do that, especially Henry Cavill in a blonde wig. Uh, but. Um, well, what did you think of it, Kate? Are you a Witcher fan? Well, what I am is someone who is, I think, a little more Witcher adjacent than yourself. Yes. Now, listeners, I am one of those weirdo fans who loves thing, almost all things fanish, except video games. I have nothing morally against them, I want to tell you. It's not that I disapprove of video games. It's just that my brain does not appear to be a video game brain, um, and I, I just kind of... I'm not only bad at it, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm friends with a great many fantasy and science fiction fans because I am one myself, and a number of them were Witcher novel purists. Ooh. Now, it's not just one Witcher novel. It is a long series that is, like, one of the best-selling series ever in Polish. And has been translated into many languages. And despite what some video game people who don't like to read will tell you, no, 
no, it is not some waste of space that only its only existence is to justify the video game. No. Um, although it does have kind of a slightly different aesthetic. It's, it's a pretty serious series. Um, it, it doesn't quite have, uh, George R.R. R. Martin levels of Rocks Fall Everyone Dies, but it can get grim. So, well, you know, the Eastern European, I know it's, it's based a lot on Eastern European mythology, which isn't as familiar to us here in the States, I believe. You know, we're pretty much stuck in that Norse and Greco-Roman mythology. So it has a lot, you know, it has a very Not different tone. sprinklings of Arthurian on top. Yes, yes. Uh, it's, I would say, hmm. That's not entirely accurate because as a Polish person living in the modern connected global world, um, a lot of them definitely, as far as what fairy tale he'd swipe stuff to take a spin on, a significant number of them were ones that would be familiar to an English speaker, like a character who uh, definitely could be Snow White except for everyone assumes she's evil and eventually she goes on a murder binge. Oh, yeah. Murder um, binge. Yes. Uh, so it definitely, like, there's sprinklings of uh, Eastern European folklore beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just sort of chunks snatched from folk and fairy tales all over Europe. And then... A good chunk of, of like, a Polish person going, I like fantasy novels. What if fantasy novels, you know, sort of had some of the stuff I like from Tolkien, but also had pierogies? Right, right. Uh, incidentally, some of the most heated fan arguments in regard to The Witcher, and I guess in a way you can say this is how you know it's a good show, is that what one of the most heated arguments going on around The Witcher are about pierogies because really? yes because as people who live on the east coast of the united states we are not strangers to the pierogi that delicious dumplingy food Yum. but apparently netflix decided that english speakers could not handle the word pierogies and although they show pierogies on screen frequently they refer to them as quote-unquote pies now if you have ever eaten a pierogi it bears no resemblance to a pie it's more like a dumpling, let's be it honest. It really is. It's basically a large dumpling. Yes. Um, so there were a lot of, like, squabbles on, well, localization is a reasonable thing to do versus <laughs> um, people can handle all kinds of, like, weird elven mithril and they can't handle a pierogi. Yeah, they can handle what is this? They like Lumbus. Come and give them a pierogi. You know, it's not like we were watching Star Wars and then they said, uh, you know, the Mandalorian, and they said, oh, we'll pay you in Beskar. And everyone was like, oh, what's Beskar? It's like then they handed over some metal. Oh, it's metal. Like give the, you know, what's a pierogi? It's a delicious dumpling. Jeebus. Jeebus <laughs> criminy. Jeebus criminy cracker. Wow. Yes. So, so you can see how this was a source of a certain amount of so, – um, Squabbling. And then the funny thing is, mostly it's the non-Americans who are like, but who's ever even heard of a pierogi anyway? Right. Whereas the Americans are like, we have! Yeah. And well, then the English-speaking Polish people are like, American pierogies are inferior, you know not the true pierogi. Right. Um, so, fandom, everybody! But the mere fact 
that the one thing everyone's nitpicking, other than the wigs, is the pierogies, is a sign that it's a pretty good show. Oh, fandom. Fandom, fandom. Um, it's a good sign. You can tell the good shows when people are nitpicking the pierogies so as opposed to other things. So let's be honest here. There was a lot of hype about The Witcher, and it was being called the next Game of Thrones. There was a lot of anticipation, and indeed it has been a huge hit as Netflix claims. However, when I sat down to watch this show, the first episode is the worst first episode I think I might have ever seen. Yeah, I think they don't really know how to introduce a show. Correct. And the first three episodes, honestly, even looking at Henry Cavill was wearing on me but i was like okay i for my job i need to get through this so i managed to get to the first three episodes and then with episode four and five it got really good and then at subsequent episodes it kind of became like oh we are hercules the incredible journey so um i i'm i'm amazed because you know nowadays the i mean it's the opposite of game of thrones it's like the beginning was so crappy and then people stuck with it. And now, like you say, it's, it's, you know, I mean, so many people I know love it. Well, I think, I mean, for one thing, I am infamous for hating first episodes and first issues. You should have heard what I said about Poe Dameron number one, listeners. Oh. It wasn't anything kind. Uh, and I stand by that, by the way, despite it eventually turning into a good comic. Um, but so... It's rare, the thing that I liked the first episode of. Um, I actually didn't mind the first episode so much, except insofar as it felt like episode three of a totally different show. Right, exactly. It wasn't actually a bad episode. It was just 400% more grimdark than typical. And to be fair to Witcher, even when Witcher has its stride, it's like... You're comparing it to Hercules and Xena, but I think it's more like if someone were to take um, that kind of fantasy show, but then make the protagonist a sardonically depressed Polish person, <laughs> this is what you'd get. It definitely changes the tone of the show a certain amount. Right. Um, it's It's not quite as as sunny as Hercules and Aeolus wandering through the meadows, but it's definitely not as grim as the first episode, which ends with an entire city being put to the sword. Right, and I mean, the whole, there's a lot of different timelines on it, and, you know, you really have to work hard to realize that there's different timelines, because the way well, ultimately, you could just talk to another fan. Yeah, but, Guys, you know, there are different timelines, but, you'll figure it out. But what if you live by yourself and don't have the internet, okay? I mean, what if you live in a Quonset hut, Kate? How are you supposed to know? No, it's a really bad piece of TV, and I, I, I think the showrunner, it's their first show, I think the people making it just weren't quite clear on how to launch a show, you well, know, but I, then it I picks up, say, but it does there's pick an up. easy fix. Yeah. There's an easy fix um, that they can even do if they put it out on DVD, which is simply to put, to do what Highlander the series, oh yes, deep cut from my childhood years, uh, would do and just put the year it's taking place in, in little white font at the bottom of the corner whenever you start a flashback. Right. 
Well, that would have been too easy. Because but they could still do it for the DVDs, and they wouldn't need to even refilm anything. Not possibly. So I have another question for you, and this is like um, there is – I will say one of the things about the show that's really cool is that it's very diverse in terms of, you know, there's people with different skin colors and because it's like hair color, you know, in this fantasy world, people have different skin colors. Guess what? That's okay. And it's totally cool. Um, you know, there's a lot of very prominent female characters and they're very powerful and, you know, they have a place in this medieval society. However, there's an awful lot of topless women and uh, it's pretty exploitive, I thought. But I, I, has there not been outcry about this? There has there has been a, a certain amount of back and forth on the subject. One side of the back and forth is that you do realize that a significant percentage, perhaps over 50% of the major characters are women. Right. Um, and, uh, well, we think the only reason Henry Cavill's not naked is because it's in his contract. Oh, yeah. Um, he will, sadly, he will not show his butt. It's so sad. This is why he needs a butt double. Yeah. Um, it doesn't need to be his actual butt. We'll settle for a butt double. Yeah. You know, for parody's sake. We just want a male male butt. we got lots of female butt. Yeah. I mean, I think there have definitely been some complaints, but there's also been a general understanding, especially in the wake of Game of Thrones and some other things that tend to do sex position. Mm-hmm. Sex that, position, yeah. Yeah, where like, let's have exposition, but maybe you'll pay attention to it if some ladies are naked and doing it. Right. That the <laughs> relatively PG-13 mm. uh, naked attitude is, is, given that it's not terribly rapey and that the women have personalities and lives of their own and storylines that are not about wanting to shag the hero. Right. Um, people are maybe not, I would say, giving it a pass, but looking at it in context and saying, eh, it could be worse. Yeah, but I think what you just said is actually very accurate. And, you know, it's not rapey at all. I mean, there is, you know, there's a little bit of jeopardy, uh, but there's a lot of jeopardy for uh, the uh um, minstrel character as well, and um, yeah, it's it's a Jeopardy show, not a it yeah. actually happens on screen show. You know what I will say? If you can't get through the first episode and get to the end, there is a kick-ass sword fight. The fight staging on The Witcher is so good. In fact, I was talking to two friends of mine on another podcast that I'm occasionally a guest on. Uh, I'll plug it. It was Jimmy Aquino's Comic News Insider. Uh, I did a wrap-up of the year. Yes, wrap-up of the year with Jimmy and John Hosh, both of whom are stage uh, veterans and both of whom are experts in stage and fight blocking. And they were going on and on about how good the fights are. And as they pointed out, now Henry Cavill is swole. The guy works out like crazy. And uh, it shows that, you know, his arms are immense. And in these fights, he's holding a broadsword with one hand and swinging it around. I mean, this, you know, it's impressive. And the, and the first episode, there's a, there's a fight with a female character, and she, her fighting is, in, is off the grid too, man. I mean, the fights are great. I am, I am not as much of a fight connoisseur as Heidi or Calvin. I tend to notice fights more when <coughs> Mission Impossible. <coughs> they go on 
way, 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 way too long. And you're like, how many people actually need to be in this fight scene? And hasn't that guy already been hit, kicked in the head three times? Um, right. So, so Witcher never went on too long for me. And all of it seemed realish looking and in character and serving a plot. So I was like, eh, okay, sounds fine to me. Looks yeah. legit. Yeah, um, the, the choreography is is really outstanding on them, though. They're really. They're, I believe it. I'm just well saying like, they're well done. I'm yeah. I'm not the person to ask, but the mere fact that I didn't go, this is really long. So, is a good sign. so you know, the fact that we're talking about The Witcher at length, uh, how does this have to do with comics? Well, there were were Witcher comics, right? Dark there Horse there were many Witcher comics. Yeah. Oh, lots and lots of Witcher comics. And, and for sure, the popularity of the show seems certain to bleed over into comics again. Um, and, well, uh, I mean, given that Orbit has announced that they've done a massive reprint of all the Witcher books. Oh, which I didn't were know that. niche, a niche fantasy novel in the United States before, despite the video games. Um, but I think, quite frankly, the fantasy television show audience is more interested in novels than the video game audience. Well, I mean, the numbers bear that out. Yeah, and you know, listen, it, and we, that's that's no no offense to the video game audience, just that it's a different audience, right? Uh, I will say this, um, you know, we were left alone and and bereft, and along came the Mandalorian, and uh, for eight weeks that gave us hope and life, and then it went away, and then came The Witcher, and that got a lot of people talking, and you know, guess what? The era of peak TV seems to be over, but there are still a lot of things that have people talking. So what will what will be the next to rescue us? Well, I mean, I don't think the era of hmm, – I would not say the era of peak TV is over. I would say that um, for better or worse, we are in its imperial phase right. where there is so damn much that it, it takes – it is, it is almost, not quite, but almost impossible for something to break through and be water cooler because right. there's so much TV. It's not that we've started getting less or it started getting not as good. It's that there's so much. Yeah. And I'm, but I, I, yes, there's, there's literally too much, but it's also, you know, the walking dead used to be all anyone talked about. And of course it's still around, but, um, not very diminished. And also it as is someone, a zombie show yeah, in two yes. senses of the word. Yes. And as someone pointed out on Twitter or in an article, I forget where I read it, but, uh, Game of Thrones came on for 10 years. It was the biggest thing in our culture. Everybody was, you know, you know, nothing, Jon Snow and you know, what's going to happen with, uh, you know, so-and-so and, and all of this stuff. And then people didn't like the last two episodes and bam, it's over. Like if you say, quote, Game of Thrones now, people just glare at you. So, you know, these things are very temporal, very ephemeral. Well, I don't think the book series will be, and I think its its impact on our culture will last. I think it's just the – currently we're in the hangover phase. Yes, fair enough. You know, um, but I do feel like one of the things that's really helping – the Witcher books, and I suspect the Witcher comics as well, is that one thing that the Witcher has done very well is actually having some source material that is easy to find, easy to pinpoint, mm -hmm. and that actually has a genuine connection to the material instead of being like so many alterations later that it doesn't bear much resemblance. Right. I'm looking at you a lot of comics media. <laughs> so 
you may have been, you know, paid X number of dollars for the movie rights or the TV rights, but do you have a book ready and safely marketed and ready to go on that table in the bookstore that people can look at it and go, oh, that's the one from the show. Right. If you don't, you're leaving money on the table. Um, and The Witcher, like Orbit was smart. They're just like, okay, well, these are the books. Right. And we'll clearly label which one is the first chronologically and people will buy it. And they did. Right. Yeah, they did. No, streaming. And comic books can learn from that. Many yeah. is the time when I, th- I thought, you know, if Scott Pilgrim could make that much money on the comic once the mm-hmm. movie came out, Think of how many movies could make money for their comics publisher. If only their comics publisher would take the time to think, what can I put out and position to get the money from the show goer? Well, we're running out of time on this episode. So, uh, I mean, I have some answers to that. We saw huge success last year with both the Boys Publishing Program and also yes. the Umbrella Academy Publishing yes. Program. The Boys was on Amazon. Umbrella Academy was on Netflix. Um, really you know, catalyzed on there's it, the whole mark there's a whole mark miller um verse that's supposedly coming from netflix i don't know when we'll see, you know one of the shows is in production but um you know this is uh, and we've talked about the anime boom how anime has come back on uh you know the like the it being streamed on so many places has has really helped fuel the the manga resurgence so you know absolutely there is uh, you know publishers are very smart when they when they get those tie-ins out there so yeah, uh, but you know we should that that will be a topic I think we could explore in a, in a subsequent episode because it looks like we managed to ramble for nearly a whole hour an episode, Kate. So well, that's good. Yeah, incredible. So uh, anyway, sorry. Well, I, I gotta go. I gotta finish packing, and I got two cats who are pretty angry here. They can tell I'm going away, and uh, I need to spend some time with them because uh, if I don't, bad things happen. Yes. So, listeners, on that note, not to worry, there will be more to come.